If you have a Bible with you, perhaps you could turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, please. We've been on this journey as a church where we've been looking at um, the invitation of the Holy Spirit to help us and to restore us, I suppose, in many ways, but also to encourage us to live with a preoccupation that's a lot more than just our own lives. Because the God that we're worshipping here today actually is at work in the world around you. Um, If you'd been in our first service this morning, there was a wonderful moment where we had a testimony from a young man called Andy. Andy, only a few months ago, gave his heart to Jesus. And he went out for a curry on Friday night with some men from the church. And a conversation began. And that conversation was a little like this. He had been asking God about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to speak in tongues. He wanted to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he believed that he wouldn't ever experience that because he's on some kind of medication, some kind of, uh, I think it's antidepressants of some description. And he was asking the question of the men there in the restaurant, um, does that hinder the Holy Spirit or does that stop or prevent the Holy Spirit from actually filling me and filling my life? And so thankfully, consequently, the men there took the opportunity just to speak into that. And Andy told us this morning that even in Akrams, Akrams is an Indian restaurant in Northfield, even in Northfield, even in Akrams, an Indian restaurant, he experienced a touch of the Holy Spirit, and he began to feel quite emotional. Now, there would be a great place for you to clap. Because it reminds us, it reminds us of something that's so, so important to us in this hour, and that is that God is not confined to working in the church. God is everywhere, and he's working in everything. Now, you can't see him with your natural eyes, but we trust by faith that he's got this world covered by grace. And so for Andy, in a place, I think you were there, Tom, were you? You there? Who has genuine questions in the most unlikely of environments with all kinds of reasons to disqualify himself, got touched by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that God goes to curry houses? Did you know that? Did you know that? Next time you're out for a curry, you might want to have a little look around and see if he's there. Not only curry houses, but curry houses in Northfield. Who would have thought it? I mean, maybe city center ones, the posher ones perhaps, but Northfield, gosh, does God really care about a man in a curry house in Northfield? And the answer to that question is absolutely and categorically yes. But that's not the end of the story. He began to feel quite emotional. Now, I don't know if you've ever been out for a curry. You can feel quite emotional having a curry, can't you? (laughs) For all kinds of reasons, it can have an impact on you, can't it? But, But imagine sitting in a restaurant, asking a whole bunch of questions, believing a whole bunch of things that weren't true, and suddenly the answer to your prayer turns up at the end of a table in a curry house in Northfield. Well, that's quite remarkable, isn't it? So he got up from his table and he went and he said this morning that as he got back into his car he had to just wait a moment so he found himself sitting in his car outside somewhere on the street I would imagine and he got baptized with the Holy Spirit and he began speaking in tongues (laughs) 
So this gets better. Not only does God turn up in curry houses, not only does God answer prayers while sitting around having a curry with some men, and not only does God overwhelm us when we have so many questions that disqualify us, but God actually desires more than we ever realize to meet with us in the day-to-day, ordinary, everyday experiences of our lives. He is not just the God of the church. He is the God of the world. And that's really important to us. A couple of things about Andy's story stir me. He believed quite categorically that he probably wouldn't experience the gift of the Holy Spirit because he had some issues. Can I ask you a question? Is there anyone here who has no issues? If you could please stand up, we'd love to meet you because you're probably the fourth member of the Godhead and we didn't know you existed. (laughs) Is there anybody here who has issues? Come on, give me a wave if you've got issues. Not tissues, issues. Anybody got issues? (laughs) I want to say this. If you've got issues, you probably will need tissues. Isn't it interesting how we think that God only blesses us with gifts when we're good? I wonder how many things we've missed that the Holy Spirit wanted to do in us or do for us because we disqualified ourselves because we weren't good enough. Can I just remind you of something? God never blesses you according to how good you are, but he always blesses you according to how good he is. And the good news is he's always good. Even on a Friday in Akrams, in Northfield, God is good all the time. God is good. Oh, don't ruin it for me. So God wants more than we realize to bless our lives, and we often confine that experience to a moment like this, to a gathered point where God is wanting to touch, and he will touch our hearts this morning. I have every confidence to believe that to be true. But actually, he goes everywhere you go. He's at everything you're at. He's hanging out with everyone you hang out with. And there are no spaces or places that are off limits to him. And you know why I know that? Because over 2,000 years ago, Heavenly Father stuck a stake in the ground on a hill far away from here. And he said, this belongs to me. That world is mine. And as the blood of Jesus Christ dripped from the cross, God reclaimed everything that was lost All those who lived outside of relationship with him suddenly had a new hope because they had this God who had given himself so that they would come to a place where they concluded that the only thing they could possibly do in response to that is to give themselves to him. I love the fact that God is not confined to the church. God is not defined by my understanding of who he is. He has a wide, expansive way of touching people in all kinds of places that I probably would have no idea he would ever be there in the first place. So you watch out because when you're out and about, you might discover that he might just turn up on you. You could be chatting with somebody at work and suddenly you feel his presence and suddenly you hear the sound of his voice and you find yourself in a moment where you're discussing something with somebody you could never bring up in conversation by any natural means because God is everywhere and God is working in everyone. 
They may not recognize it. They may not understand it. They may not even comprehend it. But the God who saved you wants to save them. And I love the fact that he's at work in every space or place that I find myself. God is good. And in every context. Even in the curry house in Northfield. Who'd have thought it? And the interesting thing for me about Andy is this. That little moment, that little window where God did something for him has now transformed everything about him. When you're touched by the Holy Spirit, you know you can't go back to being untouched by the Holy Spirit. You do know that, don't you? Once God opens up the Spirit to you that way, everything begins to change. And listen to what he said this morning as he shared his story. I find myself, this is what he said, feeling so much more closer to God now that I am speaking in tongues. In fact, we brought him up here and he exercised that gift and he spoke a blessing in tongues over the first congregation. What a wonderful thing in the space of 48 hours how God can transform a person's relationship with him. Aren't you relieved? Uh, There you were thinking it was you that did the work. Actually, the work is always done by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is everywhere, working in every context, because God is the God who loves this world, and he wants to bring life to every part of it. So on Mother's Day, can I take off my jacket? That's not to excite the ladies, trust me, on Mother's Day. (laughs) I don't want people in a Greenpeace T-shirt shouting, keep him wet, keep him wet, keep him wet. That would be cruel. Thank you laughing there. (laughs) So let's look at exactly the same thing that happened to a lady in the scriptures. John chapter 4. I think it's verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you too would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is quite deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, verse 13, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I'll come back to that part of the scriptures. And pray, Father, that you bless the reading of your word as we think about this together. So just like Andy, this is a woman living her ordinary life. And her ordinary life was remarkably marked by the amount of broken relationships that she'd experienced. This lady had a terrible reputation. And you know why we know that? 
because it would be customary in this particular part of the world for any woman to take care of her family by coming out at the break of the day when it was cooler to get water from the well. But this lady had long since decided that wasn't the way she had to live her life. In fact, because of her brokenness, because of her reputation, and because of the allegations that came from the other women, she decided to come out in the heat of the day. And Jesus had already sent his disciples away because he didn't want anything to get in the way of this moment for this lady. If I had a penny for every time God orchestrated something, and sometimes I've thought, God, you make it so difficult sometimes. I remember one time traveling back for one of Emily's parents' nights, and I was on the M4. Has anybody ever been on the M4? Does anyone ever get off the M4? The M4 has had roadworks for the last 20 years, and they did this detour, and I was like, I was literally a minute late, but I tell you what, I had conversation with God. God, I'm trying to be a good father. God, I'm trying to do this. God, I'm trying to turn up. I found out two days later there'd been a severe car accident on the M4, and if I had been five minutes earlier, I would have been right in the middle of it. Sometimes God maneuvers things that we can't see the value of, and in a moment we can get frustrated by, but he does it because he knows the end before the beginning, and we're his children, and he orchestrates and moves us into places and spaces for his divine revelations to become apparent to us. I remember when I heard that I wept like a baby because I thought, God, I just don't get you. I don't understand you at all. You are a great God, and you move things so that my life can be kept and, and, and treasured and used here on this earth. Well, this lady, just like Andy, was going out for a normal day, bad reputation, good intention, getting herself some water for her family. And notice something, because we're looking at this whole subject of what it looks like for us to lead others to life. She did not initiate the conversation with Jesus. You would have thought, wouldn't you, that if she'd seen a man waiting by the well, she would have tried to either apologize or disclose something of her own brokenness. But no, she didn't do any of that. She was quite happy to be there incognito. But Jesus had a plan. And his plan started in a way that looks so natural to us, but actually turned into something supernatural. An ordinary day, an ordinary life, a person with brokenness finds themselves caught up in the story of God. The story of God is God changing everyone, everywhere, every day, somehow, in some way. I still, to, to fathom out how he does it. And so she finds herself being asked a question. And that question is this, could I have a drink of water? I mean, I don't know if you've been on many evangelistic schools, but they don't usually train you how to do that. I don't know if you've been on many courses where they're saying, this is how you reach your friends for Jesus. You see, we make so many things more difficult than they need to be. If we watch how Jesus walks with this woman through this conversation, we start to see some things about the God who cares for the lost, the God whose heart is moved by the broken, the God who engineers everything so that one can find, so that one can be touched, so that one can be healed, the God who recognizes that whatever people see on the outside, inside every human heart, every heart was created to know him, and they're on this incredible journey, but they don't know what they're looking for, and they don't know who can answer their questions, and then one day, the Spirit turns up in Akrams, and another day the Spirit turns up at a well. Because God is at work in every heart and every life 
because everyone was created for a relationship with him. He and he alone has set eternity in the hearts of men. So you're not on a bus casually. You're standing with people, walking with people, traveling with people who God is already doing something in. You have no idea what he's up to, no real way to fathom the depths of their own journey and experience in life, the questions they're asking, the things they long for, the hopes, the aspirations. For this lady, it was someone who would love her the way she was, and yet she had created all this chaos around her life. And she comes face to face with the God who accepts her, and everything begins to shift for her. Came out for a glass of water, went home full of the Holy Spirit, came out for a curry in Akram's, went home with the Holy Spirit. God is at work everywhere, and God is at work in everyone. Now, don't you get fooled by what you see, because from the outside, this story looks like it's an impossibility. But notice the dialogue she has with Jesus. She's already grappling with truth. She's already trying to find answers to the riddle of a human heart. She's already on a journey, and Jesus knows all of that. And he doesn't start with this. You are a filthy, rotten sinner, and you need me to forgive your sins. He asks for a glass of water. He says, could you help me? I long for the day when the church stops with this ridiculous notion that one size fits everybody and you have to say all the same things to everybody you meet. Do you know what's wrong about that? We haven't even waited on the Holy Spirit to find out what the backstory is in that person's life. We don't know what God's doing. We just presume we do and we're trying to force something and the timing may not even be right. An ordinary day, a broken woman and an extraordinary outcome. You see, when I start to see the way Jesus reaches people, I start to have some understanding how every heart can be reached. If I'm not willing to do the natural with someone, I shouldn't have any expectation that the supernatural will take place. Do the biggest problem with the church, we don't know how to be people. We're trying to be super saints, three steps above contradiction. Do you know the best way to reach someone? Sit with them, be with them, listen to them, hear what the Spirit has to say about them. Because God is at work in them. As much as He is at work in you, it's just become more evidenced in your life. People say to me all the time, it's so hard to reach people for Jesus. It'll always be hard to reach people for Jesus whenever you come in as the expert trying to fix someone's life. That will never work. Gee, Well, I learned a number of years ago, and I stick to this as best I know how, is that I might be having a conversation with somebody that looks like it's very ordinary, but actually our extraordinary God is at work in that person's heart and life. Do I want to trample on that? Do I want to supersede what God is doing? Do I think I know better than God himself? If God is speaking to that person about certain aspects of their life, why should I start speaking to them about something else? Surely my job is to partner with what God is already doing. 
And for that to happen, I need to come down to the level that people are on. Not because I'm superior, but because I have lived a longer life perhaps and had some spiritual experiences that may fool me into thinking that I know more than I know. Jesus didn't do any of that. The great rabbi became the God of kindness. Can I have a drink? Do you know, I meet with people all the time and they say things about the church. It confuses me sometimes. But they say things like this, you know, why doesn't the church work in partnership with other agencies? Why do you think they don't? Because we think we're the only people who have the answers. But what if God was at work in other agencies? What if God was doing something in other groups of people? What if there was a narrative working itself out in different organizations? Remember what we said earlier? He can turn up at Akram's. He can be anywhere, in anything. You know, for years, the church has distanced itself from other organizations. We were frightened. We'd be defiled by what those people believed or didn't believe. What if we started to think differently about that and realize that we bring our piece of revelation and they may be carrying a slightly different one, but together we can work towards the end game, which is that no one lives outside of the love of God. No one, no one, no kid, no adult, no old person. What if the church started to think a little bit more like God, that the world belonged to him? That he was at work in all kinds of places, in all kinds of people, doing all kinds of things. We're so desperately trying to hold on to truth. We fail to see the value of truth in other people. It's so important that we recognize that the God of the universe is working in our world. God is working in the arts at the moment. Profoundly so. He's working in the music business. He's working in politics. Someone say amen to that. You see, if we start to think a little bit beyond the building, recognizing that most of the interactions Jesus had with people were outside of religious establishments, ordinary people with their brokenness and their difficult lives, but finding an extraordinary God, then we'll start to see people different. We'll start to live differently. We'll start to orientate our hearts. So, Jesus didn't walk up to her and say, I've heard about you. <laughs> he said, can I have a drink? What he's doing in that moment is saying, I'm human and you're human too. It's a very tender moment. It's a little snapshot of the mercy of God. Did Jesus have every right to make her feel that she was inferior? Of course, he was supremely superior to her, but he didn't do that. He took away everything that got in the way, and he did the one thing that made a way, and he was human. He turned to another human being and said, can you help me? Will you give me a drink? And the woman quickly comes back with all her protests. Aren't you a Jew and I'm a Samaritan? Aren't you male and aren't I female? Aren't you a rabbi and aren't I someone that's living outside of the grace and the righteousness of God? None of those things did Jesus answer. He simply asked for a glass of water. So, God, not only in Akrams is at work, he's at work in the world, by a well, in a school, in your job, 
everywhere. When I think of this story, I find myself drawn into something that I, for many reasons, find difficult to fully embrace. That lady who came out for water because her reputation was so bad, went home completely transformed. Completely transformed. And when she got back to the people who despised her, they were completely transformed. So my question to you is, who discipled her? Well, the only answer we can conclude is this, the Holy Spirit. She didn't go on a course. She didn't go on Alpha. Nobody did a Bible study with her. They didn't have a Bible to study in that way. And there were no other believers in her town. They were all Samaritans. But listen to what happened. She encountered Jesus in her ordinary day. God was doing something in her anyway. He met with her in his humanity, and drew her towards his divinity. He said, out of you will flow rivers of living water. And the Holy Spirit filled her soul to such a place that she went back to the very people that despised her and led them to Christ. She said this, come see a man who told me everything about myself. And if you read down in the scriptures, you'll see if not all, pretty much most of those people became followers of Jesus Christ. My question to you is, how did that happen? Because the God who turned up at the well also turned up in the village. Where the Samaritans thought they were out of bounds for Jesus, the Spirit of God did not have that memo and went with her on that adventure, and all of those people came to faith. So last Friday, when Andy got filled with the Spirit in Akrams, of all places in Northfield, there's a greater story attached to that. It's not just that he's filled with the Holy Spirit or speaks in tongues. There is a mission attached to that where God wants to do something great through his life. Someone say amen or wake up at least for me, please. God wants to do something great through his life. This moment turns into a movement whenever the people who experience it start to understand two things. God is at work in his world, and today I might be sitting next to somebody on a bus, and God is already doing something in their life. I want to see that. I want to work with the Spirit, and I want that person to experience the answer to their question and their problem in their life. Go to Luke chapter 19 for me, please. How do we start to live like this? How do we become the kind of people who are not just interested in our own spirituality, but actually have an appetite to see the kingdom of God happen and manifest itself everywhere where we are? In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we find and discover something about Jesus that I think really if we partnered with, we'd start to see lots of things begin to shift and change. It says in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek. The Son of Man came to... Okay, let's talk about these things. 
Jesus' whole mission when he came to the earth was to seek. What we're hearing about with the Samaritan lady only happened because Jesus is the seeker. He could have minded his own business. He could have sat down in his own corner. He could have not, I mean, he could call water out of anywhere, but he chose to be a seeker. He came with a consistent mindset and a continual orientation to see God's kingdom extended and people blessed around him. He was always a seeker, even right at the end when he says to John, John, behold your mother. He's connecting two human beings to the adventure of continuously seeking God. God. The problem with the church is we don't want to be seekers because we're desperate to be found. We want somebody to tell us how good we are. There is a, a, an addiction in our world right now of people wanting reaffirming and reaffirming and reaffirming and reaffirming and reaffirming. And the Bible tells us the reason for that. It says in the last days, many will be deceived. Many will be deceived. And so here's what the world looks like for us now. We need constant reminders about how fabulous we are. And if God's not telling us we're fabulous, then really we've got a problem. But listen, it says also that in the end times, people will become lovers of themselves. Preoccupied with me, myself, and I. And that is the truth. Look around you. Please take a look around you. Open your eyes to see that. That is everywhere. I use L'Oreal because I'm worth it. If your value is based on your shampoo, you've got a problem. <laughs> Something's not right about that. And what about me time? Where did me time? I just need a little me time. My mother had four kids in a caravan that was 10 foot by 12. She had no idea what me time was. Well, I just need to relax and chillax. Where did that word come from? I need to chillax? What are you talking about? Don't you need to do something before you relax? I think there's an epidemic of preoccupation with self in the world. My rights, my needs, my wants, my desires, my dreams, my destiny. Even the worship songs we sing, listen to the words. They're all about us. They're not about Christ. Come on, wake up, church. It's everywhere. This orientation to have affirmation is an addiction in society. You post something on Facebook, you get only two likes, you're devastated. Devastated. You have to have a week off work, three months in therapy. Devastated. We are preoccupied with giving power to external forces to presume our value and our worth. What is wrong with us that we can't see that for what it is? And yet, you don't need to be discovered. Let me tell you why. Because he chose you from the foundations of the earth. You don't need another human being to highlight your value. Your value is seen in the bloody mess of Christ's life as it was destroyed on a cross for the forgiveness of sins. If you ever doubt that you have value, you take a look at Christ. You take a look at that cross and you remind yourself, I am worth everything to God because he gave everything for me. That's where you look. Not Facebook. Not Facebook, who knows? People are experts on Facebook. They've never left the house. 
I remember one time in the church we led, there was a young man and he wrote this big exposition about how pastors' wives have a hard time in the church. His wife didn't even, she, they weren't pastors. I remember saying to him, I said, how did you find that information? Did you do a survey? Did you do research? No, no, it's just personal experience. So because your wife felt a little rejected in the church, you're not even a pastor, so don't present yourself that way. You've now made this presumption that everybody who's a pastor's wife is having a hard time. You can have an opinion on anything on Facebook and know nothing about nothing. Why would you let those people shape your life? Or, come on, please help me. Why would you let strangers who nothing, know nothing about you or nothing about your life? And The reason we can't see is because we want to be seen. The reason why we don't seek is because we want someone to seek us. I remember years ago standing in a conference and there was a pastor's conference and a guy from America came and he said the most profound thing, it changed my life. He said, there are only two types of people in the ministry. He said, in fact, there are only two types of Christian. There's the here I am and there's the there you are. He said, you make up your mind which you'll be. I repented. You know, I have my reasons to be insecure. I repented and I said, God, make me a seeker. When I stand in a conversation, help me see the treasure in another human heart. Father, when I'm walking on a journey with somebody, help me remind them of how precious they are in your eyes. Always keep my eyes focused on the kingdom of God. Always cause my heart to be orientated to the things that you're doing in people's lives around me. And Jane will tell you this. Every time God gives me a revelation, I give it away. Why? Because it's more blessed to give than it is even to receive. So one of the reasons why we're not seeing a lot of people come to faith is because the church has stopped looking. We're so desperately desirous to be found that we fail to partner with the Spirit to be a seeker. So what do you do for a living? You buy medical stuff. Your job is not a buyer. It's a seeker. What do you do for a living? A behavior mentor coach. You probably need to see me after this, don't you? <laughs> I am free. No, can you help, please? Seriously, can you help? Absolutely. Could you give this mother on Mother's Day a gift? Yes. Could, you, could you please? Okay, that's not your job. Your job is a seeker. And you do that in your job. It's a bit clearer, I suppose, because you're trying to help people find some things that create drives or nuances to the way they think and act. What do you do for a living? Do you have a job? Well, you must do something because you look like a lady who's had a great life. You look after, you, but you're not looking after your grandchildren. Do you know what you're looking for? You're looking for Jesus in them. That's what you do. You're a seeker. Gas engine. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Don't, don't be fooled by the label. It's not your job. Your job is a seeker. When you go into these houses of people who would never come to church or ever connect with God, you get to keep your spiritual eyes open to see what God's already doing in that house. And you begin to partner with it. What do you do, sir? I'm a dentist. Oh, the best place of all. If anyone can find a treasure, it's got to be a dentist, hasn't it? 
Do you know, if I could tell you how important this was, if I had the vocabulary to help us understand how valuable this is, do you know what I've learned? If I become a seeker like he who came to seek, I will not only be found, I would be rewarded and blessed and restored and renewed because as I seek his kingdom in other people, his kingdom becomes established in me. As I seek the treasure in other people, God pours out his treasure into my life. This is not complicated. The devil has done a number on us people, and we think that we've got nothing to contribute to this world. Do not be hijacked by the self-absorbed reality of society. Be transformed right now in Jesus' name and become the seeker that you were created to be. God has given you eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is doing around you. And as you seek, you will find. As you knock, the door will be opened. So Jesus came to seek. Notice it doesn't say he came to fix. Jesus didn't come to fix. He came to find. And in this lady, he found her. Underneath all of the bad relationships and bad choices, he found her. Underneath all of our own shame and sense of Loneliness and isolation as the consequence of the way she lived her life. Jesus found her. He found her. He found her. He found her truest self. This young woman who longed for love but looked for it at all the wrong places. Found it standing in front of her in shed loads. Pressed down, shaken up love that would never, ever, ever stop her from living the best life that she could. Everything she looked for, she found as she was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. It says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save. And it's important that we understand what our part is in this world that God's placed us. We can't save anybody. I remember many years ago here in the youth group, we've laughed about it many times since, a young man came to the youth group and uh, I think somebody got up one night after many weeks of him being around and they said, and this is John and I led him to the Lord and I shouted from the back, I saved him. <laughs> what I meant was I was the one who talked to him about Jesus. I was the one who listened to him. I was the one who spent time with him. But you know, I learned from my mistakes. I can't save anybody. And that's really liberating. I'm sorry, I'm just wasting away here, as you can see. That's just, it's just liberating, isn't it? Don't you think it's liberating? So when I'm talking with people, all that God's asking me to do is have my spiritual eyes open to see them as the people he's created them to be. To ask the Holy Spirit to show me the truth about them. Not the lie that they've been living or the lies that other people have said about them. But the truth of their truest identity in Christ. All I'm asked to do is to be a seeker. I'm not asked by God to save anyone. But I've noticed something. That when I go seeking, he starts saving. <laughs> when I go seeking, he starts saving. There's a wet Thursday night in Glasgow. A young lady standing on a street corner peddling her body for money. Addicted to cocaine. And she comes off the church bus. We used to have this refuge bus for the girls to sit in where the guys weren't allowed on. 
And somehow she caught my eye. She was unusually unraveled by the job. Immaculately dressed, very beautiful young lady, probably about 22. And so she catches my eye, and I'm with the team there. Because the men weren't allowed on the bus, I wasn't allowed on the bus. It would have sent out the wrong signals, and these women needed a safe place to be. So I turn to her, and I say, what's your name? And she said, oh, my name is, you know, Eloise. I said, nice to meet you, Eloise. I said, there's something about you. Now, she probably had heard that from many men in the past. For all kinds of reasons, I have to be guarded in those moments. I said, God's hand is on your life. Something about you, Eloise. And she just smiled and she said, you know what's really weird about this conversation? She said, I've started reading the Bible. I said, wow, what caused you to do that? She said, I don't know, really. My grandfather was a Christian. And um, he used to talk to me about Jesus. He tried to get me a few times to Sunday school, but my mom was so chaotic. Her mother and her grandmother both had sold their bodies for, for money. I said, you know what? <clears throat> Can I make a suggestion to you? Why don't you come along to the church on Sunday? It would be lovely to see you. You'd be very well. Oh, sure, people like me don't go to church. I said, actually, the place is full of people like you. Everyone's a sinner. Come on. Come on in. There's room for one more, that's for sure. And when you come in, will you sit at the front for me, please, so I can recognize that you're here? So Eloise came, and she stood there, and the Spirit of God, who had already been working in her, remember, that's what we're trying to think about, actually started to manifest on her, and she began to cry. She began to cry in the service. Now, she had been hardened by all kinds of abuses and situations, but God has fingers that reach places where hands and words can never go. Okay, and she began to weep. She wept, not because she was a prostitute. She wept because she discovered the love she spent her whole life searching for in all the wrong places, right there in the place she least expected it to. It wasn't Akram's. It wasn't a well. It was the church. She didn't think for one second that everything she longed for could be found in a building like that because whilst her grandfather read the Bible with her, he also abused her. And that day... That woman got filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And her life was turned upside down and inside out by the power of God. Someone say hallelujah to that. And she came back week after week after week after week. She found herself a young man. She gave up what she did. Her children were restored to her. And she's still worshiping in the Glasgow Elam Church as we speak. You think that God's not at work in the world around you? Wake up, Christian. The reason you don't get to see it is because you're not seeking it. One more story. We'll move on to something else. I get asked, would I see a young man who's got an addiction by a young lady in the church who was a friend of ours? I said, yes, I'll talk to him. He turns up unusually on time. And he's sitting in my room, very well groomed, which for someone with addictions isn't normally the reality. And we start talking. And straight away, the Holy Spirit says to me, don't speak. Now, you know it's going to be God that says that to me, don't you? That was too hard to laugh. <laughs> so I'm sitting there listening to him. And I say to him, can I just leave some music for you? Would that be okay? And uh, I go out, Jane is up. PA there, and I go in, Jane says, we've got to get home, Simon, you know, and then we realized that we'd left my Filofax, do you remember Filofaxes? They were a thing in the 80s, the 90s, we left it on, it's got all my credit cards in it, and Jane said, you know, just pay attention to that, 
people who have addictions, blah, blah, blah. And every time I went to go back in the room, I felt God say to me, no, Jane eventually left. And I walk into this room, and this man is on the floor, and he's crying his eyes out. And I say, is everything okay? He said, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know how, I don't know what's happening to me. I just can't. I don't, and he just wept, and he wept, and he wept, and he wept. And I held him in my arms, and he said, you know, I don't know if this is real. I know nothing about this stuff. I've never read the Bible. I don't know anything about anything. But is God a father? Is he a father? Does he? Because you know, I felt that somebody picked me up. <laughs> they picked me up and they put me on their lap and they held me. And that's when I started crying and I can't stop crying. Is that true? Is God a father? Is he really a father to those like me? And I said, Scott, he is absolutely a father. What you're experiencing is the love of the father touching you. That boy had been, he was 33 years old. He had been in 35 institutions trying to find answers to the problems of his heart. And on an office floor that was very unglamorous, without somebody engaging too much in it, the journey that began in him privately turned up publicly, and God began to transform his life. He was blitzed by the Holy Spirit. He used to come on a Saturday night, and he'd take off his belt, and he'd shout from the back, Simon, save me. I loved it, but I knew it wasn't me. All of the church wanted to keep him quiet, but I knew you couldn't keep a quiet man in a place like that who had been changed so dramatically by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why would he be silent when even the stones lift their voices and declare the goodness of God? Why would he remain silent? It came week after week after week. He broke free from heroin. He found a young lady. He got married. They moved to America. He became a multi-millionaire. And he's the same lad that asked me what kind of Mercedes I'd like because he wanted to buy it for me. God can do exceptional things. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me to become seekers because when we start to seek, we will find the kingdom. You know why your spirituality is a bit boring? Because you're not a seeker. You're still waiting to be discovered yourself. It's not enough anymore for the church to have nice buildings and meetings and party times and celebrations. The time has come to arise and to shine. In this hour, God is raising up ordinary people who see what he wants them to see and will go where no other people will go. God is raising up exceptionally powerfully, beautifully, saturatedly, gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit individuals who care not about their life, but just want to live their life to see the kingdom of God extended. But if you are always looking to be discovered, you will not discover the treasure that's hidden in secret places for you. All around you, God has placed blessings. And those blessings are the most profoundly transforming things. When you see God change a person like Eloise or Scott, you know that this is not stuff that we sing about. This is a God who turns up in our world, who can rewrite the story of her life, his life, their families, this city, this nation. I'll keep going until somebody wakes up. For the Son of Man came to seek. Will the church come to seek? Will you become a seeker? Who wants to be a seeker? And when you seek, he will save. That's the contract. Time has run out as it always does, but we want to ask you to step towards this reality as a collective body of people. We want to ask you, will you orientate your heart every day 
as you're brushing your teeth and combing your hair and whatever else you do to get ready for the day and say, God, I know today you're doing something in the people around me, in the places around me. Can I see it? Can I be there, God? Can I be part of the great outpouring of your spirit? God's looking for you. He's waiting for you. And so we put together this card. You can have it on the screen, please. Do you like it? <laughs> ah. You'll notice on the card there's a young man looking backwards. We picked this particular image very, very carefully because we wanted to demonstrate to you two things. That the church is here to lead the world to life. And you notice that he's grabbed the hand of the person behind him. What we're hoping to do over these next weeks or months is for you to do exactly just that. Grab the hand of somebody and take them on an adventure. You'll notice from his face that he's full of life. Can I just say right up front and right here, you can't take someone where you're not yourself. So make sure, as we've tried to over these months, to be full of God. Let the great commandment rule and reign in your heart. Love him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all your strength. But now it's time to love your neighbor. It's time to reach beyond you and say, will you come with me on this glorious adventure of discovering who God truly is? It's time for the church to look over her shoulder, not in arrogance because we think we're better, but because we are people who have been humbled by the grace and the mercy of God. And we know one way where the human heart can be restored and renewed. And so we lift our hand out to our brother or our sister and say, come, let's go and find Jesus. To do that practically, if you turn over the slide, this is how we're going to start the journey. And it looks like it's so simple, it probably feels like it's not enough, but we're going to pray once a day. Here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to start binding and loosing and chewing and spitting out and all of that. No, no, no. Here's what we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God will reveal to us the truest nature of the person that we're praying for. God, show me who they are before all the damage was done. God, reveal to me their truest design. God, enlighten me. Lead me by your spirit. Give me words of knowledge. Stir me with wisdom, Father. Because when I pray for this person, I want to be praying what Jesus is praying, the great high priest who is interceding for that individual day and night. I want to eavesdrop on what Jesus is praying and start to pray what God is praying. And if you don't get those things, then just pray that they come to know Jesus Christ, that they find him as their Lord and Savior, that they love him with all their heart, that they grow in confidence in knowing that they're precious in the sight of God. And you are not allowed to pray for longer than five minutes. Because if you pray longer by Wednesday, you'll have given up. It's the truth. So we're limiting it to five minutes. Second thing we're going to do is speak to them once a week. Now, let me help you. We're not going to say, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Would you like another custard cream with that coffee? No. We're not going to say, if you died tonight, do you know whether you go to heaven or you're good? We're not going to do any of that, okay? What we're going to say is, how has your week been? Let's practice it. How has your week been? Oh, come on. <laughs> or in the words of Joey from Friends, how you doing? 
How's life with you? What's happening with you? It's very ordinary, but remember, ordinary things turn into extraordinary things when you're a seeker. Can you hear me, church? Can I have a glass of water? I'm going for a curry with the men. Ordinary things turn into extraordinary things when you're a seeker. Amen? Ordinary conversation. Do you know, I think Christians don't know how to have ordinary conversation. I remember once in, in Glasgow, this man used to come and visit the church. He was a regional leader for the AOG. I can't remember his name. I think it was Peter. But he'd been around church all his life, so he'd come in and he'd say, Can I see Pastor Kevin? Hallelujah. Praise God. I'd say, Yes. Of course you can. He said, Oh, <laughs> may the glory of God shine upon you, Simon. Okay, well, I'll just go and get him for you. I go and find Kevin, and I bring him, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah, how good is God, how glorious, I think, what happened to you? Can you not just say hello? <laughs> Can you not just say, Simon, you're looking mighty fit in that shirt? <laughs> hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God. Now, you're laughing, but we do the same thing. We got all the speech. Here's, here's how you say hello to somebody. How are you doing? Just Hello. Oh, that, that look, that's a nice haircut you got. Be careful when you're speaking to people of the opposite sex, because those cues have different meanings for certain people. Can't be that difficult, can it? Third thing we're going to do is we're going to meet with them once a month. Now, we're not meeting with them to deliver them from evil. Okay, this is not... You know, we're going to break every generational curse over a cappuccino at Costa. Okay, what we're, going to, what we're going to do is be human and sit down with someone and just go a little bit deeper with the story of their life. And what we're going to do as they tell that story is we're going to listen. We're not going to hijack it and tell our story. We're just going to listen. And we're going to say, Holy Spirit... Where are you working in this person's heart and life? Show me where the kingdom is, God. It's here. And then we're going to invite them once a quarter to something that we put on in the church that's designed for people who are seeking God. And uh, hopefully in those events we'll see some fruit. On your card, which we're about to give you, as the ladies run like gazelles amongst the congregation, would that be possible? There is some kind of code, I don't know what they're called. Um, it's a bit like the things we did with COVID where you could register somewhere. But these, this code will take you to a website, it'll take you to part of our website where we would love for you, please, to put the name of the person that you are seeking to pray for over these next number of months. Is that, is that clear? Is that, have I said that okay? Are you still with me or have you all switched off now because the cards are more interesting? <laughs> Okay, there's a code on the back of the card. If you put it, your phone over it, take a picture of it, it will lead you to a part of our website. What we would love you to do is engage with dialogue about the people that you're praying for. And here's what we're going to do every time we meet, once we get the names, is as part of our worship experience, we're going to add five or six of these names and bring them as a community before God. What we're hoping for, what we're praying for, is that you will start to see God use your life in an exceptional way to bring life to another individual who perhaps has no idea that it's God at work in them until they meet you and God does something exceptional through you.
So, can God work in acronyms? Can he work in acronyms up in the balcony? Nice to see you. Can God work in the hairdressers, ma'am? Or the dentist, sir? Could God work there? Can God work at Sainsbury's? I don't think he's middle class enough for Sainsbury's. I think he's more a Tesco man myself, but hey. (laughs) Is there anywhere God can't work? Why do you think you don't see him work? I I need to, a bit louder, because you're not looking. You're not seeking. And if it was good enough for the Son of Man to come to seek Can I encourage you to believe it's good enough for you? And as you seek, you will see the salvation of God. You will see God do exceptional things. And he'll take what looks like an ordinary day where you came out for a glass of water or went for a curry, and something extraordinary will happen. Anybody up for that adventure? Anybody excited about what that could turn into? Everyone, every day, everywhere releasing his life. Stand with me, please. On Easter Sunday morning, we have a baptism service. One of the great things about a baptism service is people tell their story of how they met with Jesus and what changes that has made to their life. If you have any friends that you think might be interested to come along to that, let's fill this house and let's see what God will do. When I came back here, I had a few people say this to me, why don't you go after the people that no longer attend the church? It seemed like a good thing to do. It seemed like a right thing to do. But as I waited on the Lord, here's what God told me he wanted me to do. God said, Simon, I'd like you to go after the lost. This whole journey is about us all going after the lost. We have been given that mandate from heaven. This church has always been a church that has always reached out into its community to see people come to faith. We are revisiting and being revived in that reality. This is not accidental. God is aligning us for his purposes. The move of the spirit that we sing about is not a move in the church, but a move through the church. Ordinary people turning up in ordinary circumstances and seeing their extraordinary God do things like they'd never, ever imagined were possible. You are going to lay hands on sick people and they are going to be healed. And the one who's going to be most surprised is you. You're going to speak to someone you think is not interested in Jesus and they're going to offer their heart to him unreservedly because the world is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. This is the hour the church rises. This is the moment that we step towards mission because this is the time where there's going to be a great harvest for the glory of Jesus Christ. Don't you listen to the propaganda on television from the enemy. The truth of God is always the line by which we live in. And, the, and God says the glory of the latter house 
will far surpass any of its former glory, and you are about to see what that means. I am so excited for you. I can't tell you how many dreams I have. I'm looking forward to the stories of people in ordinary places seeing extraordinary things happen. But my question to you is, from this moment on, will you align your heart to be like Christ himself and become someone who goes in search of the kingdom of heaven? Father, help us, please, we pray. Holy Spirit, this can't happen without you. We can't be what we're called to be unless you are what you're wanting to be in our hearts and lives. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Let there be a quickening. Let there be a commissioning in our hearts. There are young people who need our young people to rise up and reach out to them, Father God. There are old people who need our old people to not fall asleep in the corner, but realize they're on a mission wherever they happen to go for their lunch at whatever day of the week it is. Ordinary people turning up in society and recognizing God was already there doing something exceptional in that person's heart. Lord, I've exhausted myself and I've exhausted your people, but I pray, Lord God, your unexhaustible power would be at work in each of our lives until we see your kingdom come and your will done. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now we're going to have a final song just to encourage you in Mother's Day. Ladies, I hope you have a fabulous day. There are some little gifts that we've put together for you. You can take um, some, I think they're primula plants. I'm not a great person knowing, but I mean, there's some lovely little plants out there. Please take one. Please take one. And we wanted it to be something that could live beyond a day. So plant it somewhere as a, a beacon of hope and brightness in some space you've got. Secondly, you can have your photograph taken with a variety of backgrounds. Okay, there's a a green screen out there in the corridor. You can be in San Francisco. (laughs) Who fancies a little trip to San Francisco, ladies? Okay, it would be nice, wouldn't it? You can be in China down the uh, Blossom Avenue. There's a wonderful picture there, the Blossom Avenue. And take all of the people you love and some of the ones you're not sure about and go to the green screen, and uh, it'll have to be quick because there's so many of you, but we wanted you to have a memento of this day. As you fill in the form there or someone fills it in for you, you will receive your pictures in, uh, the, in your email. So that would be a nice keepsake for the day. So please make sure you do that. Now, gentlemen, if you're with the ladies that you love and they're your, your, your desire, passion, love, and life, why don't you have a photograph taken with them? Because, you know, if there's not children around today, then... I know most women will say to me that their other child is the one that they sleep next to most nights of the week. (laughs) He just wears big boy trousers. We shall go out with joy. We shall go out with joy. Yeah, let's do trading our sorrows. Yeah, we shall go out with joy. Be led forth with And every obstacle will turn into an opportunity to those who seek. Amen? Have a great week, church. See you Thursday for Burn.